start in verse 1. We're going to be looking at our sermon text this morning is going to be from uh, Jude 12 through 19. I'm going to read um, all of it, though, not all the letter, up until verse 19 um, to put it into context. This is the Word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved... The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Here ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you today. 
knowing that this letter that Jude has written is sobering. I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to take it as seriously as the reason that you inspired it by your Spirit to be written as this Spirit superintended Jude to write this for us, not only for the congregation that he's writing to, but for us. I pray that you would grant me grace to preach it in the power of your Spirit. You grant your people grace to hear it in the power of your Spirit and that, Lord, you would accomplish exactly what you desire today in the hearts of every person. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray and we rely on. Amen. Well, May 22nd, 2011 began like any other day in Joplin, Missouri. It was tornado season. And tornado watches and tornado warnings were a common occurrence and that day was no different. At 1.30 p.m., a tornado watch was issued. Three and a half hour later, hours later, a tornado war warning went out, including northeast Joplin. Two minutes after that, a siren sounded. Six minutes after that, another warning that was specific to Joplin. Seventeen minutes later, another siren sounded as the powerful EF-5 tornado touched down. If you know what happened in Joplin that day, you know that it didn't take long for the havoc-wreaking 200-mile-per-hour massive tornado to transform a quaint town in Joplin, Missouri into a pile of rubble of apocalyptic proportions. And worst of all, to claim 162 lives. A government study after the storm found that a significant portion of Joplin's residents had not taken the warning seriously. No doubt, many of those whose lives were lost who failed to take shelter when they should have. You see, they had missed the clear and present danger that the warnings were signaling for them. Well, we're studying through the book of Jude, and Jude is a letter of warning. And over the past three sermons, Jude has been issuing for us not a tornado warning, but an apostate warning. One alarm after another alarm after another alarm. But much like the residents of Joplin, when we hear so many alarms, the temptation is to be desensitized to them, isn't it? When we hear so many alarms, it, the temptation is to not take them seriously, to not see them as the indicators of the clear and present dangers that they are. And of course, to open ourselves up to a destruction that is way worse than that tornado on that dreadful day in Joplin, Missouri. Well, today, our Lord is going to be so gracious to us in His Word to resensitize us to His warnings, to sober us up to the clear and present danger of apostates. And we'll look at that in Jude, uh, verses 12 through 19. But before we do that, just a little bit of context to reorient ourselves with Jude. You may remember that Jude is the, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he had learned of an alarming situation that was going on in a church, local church that he cared deeply about. Apostates, men who had turned away from Christ, maybe and probably not in their profession of Christ, 
But in their hearts, they had turned away from Him. And they had begun to show forth the reality of their hearts in, the, in the, their actions, the things that they were doing. They had infiltrated the church. They had infiltrated the church membership. And they were made their way onto the roles of the church and they were wielding their wicked influence amongst the saints. All the while, the church, they didn't even notice. That's what Jude says. It went unnoticed. And so Jude picked up his pen to write a letter to this beloved church to expose the apostates in their midst and to call the church to not roll over but to take up battle arms and to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And over the past three sermons, what we've seen, we've looked at verses 8 through 11, where we've seen Jude identify for us seven signs of an apostate. We've listed those as a recap in your bulletins today, the seven signs of an apostate. And today what we're going to do is we're going to move on to verses 12 through 19, where this is what I want you to take away from this sermon today and this text today. Apostates are a clear and present danger. Therefore, treat their threat with the utmost seriousness. First thing I want you to see is in verses 12 through 16 is that apostates are a clear danger. Now, I'm going to try to set this up for you a little bit before I get into the text. A clear danger is one that is real. It's one that's not up for debate. It's one that's not hypothetical. And so fire is a clear danger. If you stick your hand in a fire, it is clear that that is a danger. It is, you're going to get burnt. As I just mentioned over the past three sermons, we've looked at the... Judas laid out for us seven signs of an apostate. If you miss those sermons, I, I'd encourage you to go back and, and take a look at those where we unfold each of those uh, further than what you're going to see on your bulletin. But during that time, what we did is... We drew connections between the signs of apostasy, the signs of apostates, and some uh, certain people and churches who are actually bearing those signs right now in our midst, in our generation. For instance, in verse 8, we we saw that the first sign is that apostates rely on another source of revelation, not the Scriptures alone. And so what we did is we drew the connections between that sign and and Mormonism, with their other source of revelation being the Book of Mormon. And we drew the connection between that sign and the Catholic Church, with their other source of revelation being church tradition, where they elevate church tradition to the same place as the Scriptures. In fact, we took other signs and we, we connected them to famous people, famous people like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer. And we, famous churches like Bethel Church in Redding, California, and famous... Um, church denominations, we called out a lot of those, one of them being the United Methodist Church. These are people that we're showing you, and the reason that we did those connections is to show you something, is to show you how God's Word is a light that exposes wolves in sheep's clothing. It's a light that Jude was shining in on this congregation that he was writing to to expose the false teachers that were in their midst. But there's a temptation, and I want to bring your attention to that temptation. And the temptation is this. The temptation is to 
not treat that threat seriously. And especially, that is especially true when we have an emotional connection with the person or the pastor or the church that is actually bearing the signs of apostasy. So maybe you're listening to this message and maybe as we've been going through this, you've been thinking to yourself, well, I know that, that Joel Osteen doesn't get everything right, but man, does he ex- inspire me. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with being inspired, right? Or how about this? I know that the Catholic Church appeals to another source of revelation, and a lot of the things that you see them doing, you can't find in the Bible, but all oh, my family has been a part of, of the Catholic Church for, for X amount of years, and I just love the tradition. Surely there's nothing wrong with staying in the membership. Or, I know that Bethel Church has some wacky practices, but man, I've never felt closer to God than when I listen to their music and when I hear Bill Johnson preach and I participate in some of the things that they urge people to participate in. Surely it can't hurt to listen if it's bringing me closer to God. Now, none of those examples might be you. But make no mistake, when someone you have an emotional connection to When they start bearing the signs of apostasy, there is going to be a temptation to minimize the danger and to continue to tolerate their influence in your life. And what I want you to see Jude doing in verses 12 through 16 is saying, stop ripping off your rose-colored glasses and our rose-colored glasses and saying, look. I want to bring you face to face with the danger. I want to show you the clear danger of apostates. And he's going to do that through some very vivid language. Look what it says in verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Now, love feast, that's what we do uh, on the first Sunday of every month. We gather together, we We uh, partake of of the bread and the cup together. We remember the broken body of Jesus and His uh, shed blood for our sins. And then after that, we have a meal together, right? We gather together and have a meal. And this is one of the most significant and intimate things that we do as a church. Jude is, is showing us by implication here that the apostates had embedded themselves so deeply into the life of the church that they were already participating in one of the most intimate activities of the church. And he said they're doing it without fear. Jude says that they are hidden reefs at your love feast. See, the illustration here is a nautical one. Hidden reefs pose a detrimental risk to sailing ships. Lodged underneath the water where you can't see, see them, unbeknownst to the crew of a ship, They will cut through a ship's hull like a knife through butter, causing that ship to take on water and sink to the ocean floor and to be shipwrecked. Judah is saying that apostates are like that. As long as their influence is tolerated in the church or in your life, they are like hidden reefs. Everyone is at risk of shipwrecking their faith. You remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, speaking of two men by the name of Hymenaeus and Alexander? He said they made shipwreck of their faith. 
essentially what Jude has been doing for us as we've been going through this letter and he's been identifying these signs of an apostate for us. He has marked out those hidden reefs for us. He's, it's like he's put big red flags in each of the hidden reefs saying, don't shipwreck your faith. If you are tolerating and continuing to tolerate the influence of those who bear the signs of apostasy, you are as foolish as one who is sailing his ship, ignoring the red flags that mark out the hidden reefs, shipwrecking your faith. It's inevitable. Apostates are a clear danger, Judah's saying. Look what he says next. He says, they are shepherds feeding themselves. Over and over again in the scriptures, we'll see the Lord referring to himself as a shepherd to describe his leading and feeding and caring for his people. We just finished memorizing Psalm 23. What's the very first words of that psalm? The Lord is my what? My shepherd. But he also uses this term shepherd to describe under shepherds, pastors who lead and feed and protect his flock, the church. Peter charges the pastors, you may remember, in the el- or the elders of, which are the elders of the church he's writing to in 1 Peter. He says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that's leadership, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, that's not for your own selfish purposes, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so pastors are charged with this leadership responsibility and this sacrificing of self for the good of Christ's flock. But that's not what these people do, do they? These people do not feed the sheep. They feed themselves. That's uh, That's what Jude says. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? After his resurrection and Peter had denied him three times and they're sitting uh, by the crackling fire, (laughs) Peter hears these words, Simon, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What does the Lord say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed them with my word, Peter. See, that's one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor is to prepare and serve up God's Word so that Christ's flock can be fed and nourished and grow. That's the only way for a church to grow and individual Christians to grow is by them being fed the Word of God. As I mentioned, that's not what apostates do. Jude says they are shepherds feeding themselves. Oh, how they want to elevate themselves to positions of shepherding where they can exercise influence over you. They long for power and reputation, and that's why they do it. And regardless of whether it's one sheep that follows them or the entire flock, the entire church, the results are catastrophic. When a shepherd only feeds himself, the sheep starve. They starve because they are not being fed with the unperverted Word of God. And the sheep's spiritual bellies begin to wither Their spiritual bones become visible because they're being starved to death. They're getting so skinny. And they're so spiritually weak that their spiritual knees begin to shake. They're about to faint and fall over dead. And that is exactly what will happen if you continue to follow a shepherd that feeds themselves. 
unless you escape from a shepherd like that. You see, apostates are a clear danger. Next, Jude writes this. These men are waterless clouds swept along by the winds. When you see a dark cloud approaching, you expect you're about to get drenched. You expect that your browning grass at your home is about to get the water it so desperately needs. But when the winds drive that dark cloud over you and past you without one drop of rain, you are left dry and disappointed. Judah's saying that apostates are like that. Oh, they promise spiritual life to the lost and they promise spiritual nourishment and growth to those who are found, but they never produce. The way they make you feel inspired or feel, feel, feel free to carry out your heart's desires, making you feel this temporary aliveness. They ma- makes you expect go- that you're going to be spiritually nourished, but in reality, you're going to be left with nothing but spiritual dryness. Jude makes a similar point when he says this, they are fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Imagine coming across a tree, sitting propped up against a house, with brittle brown leaves on its branches, and you look down at its roots, and they're not in the ground. They're just sitting right on top of the soil. You know what kind of tree you call that? A dead one. A dead one. Without the possibility of producing fruit. Well, in the same way, it's impossible for apostates to produce fruit that will spiritually nourish you. Why? Because they're not rooted in the soil of Christ. Remember what Jesus said? John 15, I believe it was. I am the vine and you are the branches. He says this in verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's as foolish to think that you're going to get fruit off of a branch that's disconnected from a vine as it is to think that you are going to get fruit under the teaching of an apostate. You know what that's a recipe for? Spiritual starvation. Don't be foolish, Jude is saying. Apostates are a clear danger. Next, Jude writes this in verse 13. These men are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. See, in a body of water, foam is the result of the activity of waves. The more active the waves are, the more foam that you will see. Like wild waves, apostates are active. They're not dormant. They're not neutral. They're not just sitting by on the sidelines. They are active. They're active in the church. They're active in the various ministries of the church. They're active in spreading the leaven of their lies. But the result of the multitude of their activities is not honor, but shame. Jude says their activities cast up the foam of their own shame. Their activities are not something to be proud of, but to be ashamed by. You know, when I read this, when I was studying for this sermon, I could not help but think of how proud some professing Christians are of their activities to advocate for things that are abominations to God. How some Christians are so proud of their activities and in advocating for things like a woman's right to abort her baby, or advocating, some church denominations in fact, advocating for a person's right to change their own gender. 
See, what they're doing is they're casting up the foam of their own shame. They're proud of their activities when they should be ashamed of them because it's defecting from what God has told us clearly in His Word. Apostates do that. Moving on, Jude writes this, They are wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. See, stars were incredibly important when Jude wrote this letter. They aided in navigation for for ships and travelers. They helped people to know the direction to go in order to get to the destination that they were seeking. Like stars, apostates promise to give you spiritual direction. But Jude says that they're the worst kind of spiritual directors because they're not just stars, they're wandering stars. From our perspective, looking up into the skies, there's only one kind of a star that wanders or moves through the sky. We call them shooting stars or meteor showers. And so if you've ever seen one, you know how it works. They appear and they're, man, they are so blazing bright. But just as soon as they appear and you see them fly through the sky, you see them fade and they're gone, disappearing into the darkness to never be seen again. Apostates are like that, Jude says. Their ministries appear, promising spiritual direction. And they appear to be bright, bustling, and successful. Sometimes that happens on a local level, as their Sunday school classes attract more and more people. Sometimes it happens on a more national and an international level, as they they fill up arenas in places like Houston, Texas. Or they hold TV spots on networks like TBN. Like shooting stars, they are horrible for spiritual direction. Like shooting stars, they are bright for a moment, but there is coming a day when Jude says they will disappear into darkness, into utter darkness forever. There should be no question in your mind what Jude's talking about here. He's been alluding to it over and over and over again in this letter. He's been alluding to it in verse 4. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are destined for God's condemnation. Verse 6, The angels who left their own position of authority serve as an example by being kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They are destined for God's judgment. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Eternal fire, not temporary. They are destined for the unquenchable and eternal, never-to-get-out fire of hell. And in case we miss that somehow, Jude wants to make sure we got it. And so he, he gives us a prophecy in verses 14 through 16. Here's what he says in verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Adam's number one. You count seven generations, you get Enoch. By the way, before I tell you what this prophecy is, this is much like what we saw in verse 9, I believe it was, with Michael the archangel who was uh, disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. Right? Jude is the only place in the Scriptures that you'll actually find that account of Michael and, and telling about the archangel and, and, and with, um, disputing with the devil with about the body of Moses. But just like that, this this, uh, prophecy from Enoch is also the only place in the Scriptures that you'll find that. 
It was likely an account that was passed down orally from generation to generation to generation until many, 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 many years later, it was actually finally written down in an uninspired apocryphal book by the name of First Enoch. Now, that doesn't mean First Enoch is, should be, is inspired by God and should be a part of the, the canon of Scripture, and there's many reasons for that if you actually read it and you actually know where its origins come from. But I don't think that, that Jude here is saying that this is just a hypothetical prophecy. I think we have reason to believe that, that Jude is actually quoting a prophecy inspired by God from Enoch. And by the way, it has continuity with what the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said. And here's what the prophecy says. Speaking of these apostates, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. That's the end of Enoch's prophecy. Verse 16, Jude says this, These are grumblers, just like apostate Israel. They were grumbling, murmuring against God. They were malcontents. They are dissatisfied with everything. Following their own sinful desires, they are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage, flattery to gain advantage. See, there's a day of judgment that's coming when all of the ungodly are going to be brought before the tribunal of God in judgment and all of their ungodly deeds will be exposed before the eyes of the judge. Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful deed written in his book and that book opened to administer full and final, eternal and definitive judgment towards all the ungodly. Now, we know exactly how the apostates are going to do on that day. Let me ask you, do you know how you're going to do on that day? That day is coming. In fact, it could be here today. Lord Jesus said that for many it was going to come like a thief in the night. So let's imagine that that day is here today, because it certainly could be here this afternoon. Let's imagine that you're standing before the great white throne of judgment, and Jesus is seated on that great white throne to administer judgment. Imagine that He opens up that book where every sin in your life is recorded. Thousands of lies. Thousands of lustful thoughts. Thousands of instances of you coveting. Kids, thousands of instances of you disobeying your mommy and daddy. He opens that book. How's it going to work out for you? Imagine at that moment he takes out his unchangeable word that we find in the scriptures and he opens it up and he starts to read this. For the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. All of a sudden, a lump starts to form in your throat. You start sweating profusely. You start to get really nauseous and faint because you know it's not that you just have one sin. You have millions written there, and he sees them all right before his face. How are you going to do on Judgment Day? Ah. Jesus said this in John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, 
but has crossed over from death to life. The only way you'll do well on Judgment Day is if you hear and believe what? The gospel. Here's the gospel. You need all of your sins in the sight of God erased. And there is only one eraser. It's the blood of Jesus Christ who took the sins of His people upon Himself and paid the penalty for that sin in full on the cross. The wrath of God that would have come crushing down on His people in hell came crushing down on His own perfect Son. But not only do you need your sins erased, you need a perfect record of obedience. And there is only one with that perfect record of of obedience, and His name is Jesus He was born under His own law and fulfilled it perfectly for His people, never sinning once, always obeying the Father in fullness, flawlessly. And the promise of the gospel is this. Jesus said, hear His word. Here's the promise of the gospel. If you repent of your sins, which means to turn away from them because you hate them and you see how offensive they are to God, you turn away from your sins and you turn to Jesus Christ trusting in Him and Him alone for your salvation. The promise of the gospel is this. Every sin in that book is pardoned. Every sin pardoned. And not only that, the perfect obedience that you need, that only Jesus Himself has, will be gifted to you as a free gift, as if you had never sinned before. You say, well... That sounds great. It sounds too good to be true. How can I know that that's true? How can I be certain of that? Well, it's because God has given you and me an undeniable sign. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead like He prophesied that He would do, like it had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. One of those being Isaiah 53. Take a look at it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then on, you go down a little further and it talks about He was a sin offering for us, which means He died for us. But it says this, that He will see the light of life and be satisfied. He was resurrected from the dead. He is the only way to survive Judgment Day. If you have not already, I urge you and plead with you today, <laughs> repent and trust in Him. Repent and trust in Him. Back to the fate of the apostates. I've said it before. And I'm going to say it again. You do not want to be found following an apostate when Jesus Christ returns to execute judgment upon the ungodly. You do not want to be found there. So let me ask you this morning. Is there someone that you know or a church that you're you're okay with that's bearing one or more signs of apostasy and you've been tolerating their influence in your life? Someone who's appealing to another source of revelation and maybe not the scriptures alone. Someone who is uh, legitimizing sexual sin. Someone who treats demons carelessly as we've seen, like many charismatic churches. Someone who is driven by money and possessions. People wrapped up in the prosperity gospel. Is there a famous preacher or a church that we've connected to the signs of an apostate that you are continuing to still listen to? You know what the Lord Jesus is doing for you this morning through His Word? He's shaking you and He's saying, Wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't you see the clear danger? Cut them off. 
Cut them off before it's too late because Christ is coming to execute judgment upon the ungodly and you don't want to be found amongst the ungodly. Now, I'd be remiss today to not mention those of you who are actually doing this all so well. I know that there are some of you in here that you have children, you have siblings, maybe you have parents that have turned away from Christ, that are bearing these signs of apostasy, that are following people like that. They have done things like they're, they've legitimized sexual sin, they've embraced a morality that's unhinged from the Bible. In some cases, they've embraced another gospel. And if they had their way, and I know they've tried, they would influence you to follow them in their apostasy, to embrace the things that they believe. But by the grace of God, you see them for what they are. You see them as a clear danger. And you have not cut off their... You have, I should say, you've cut off their corrupting influence without cutting off the relationship, which as we're going to see next time is extraordinarily important. Jude's going to show that to us. Let me just say to you, if that is you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to Christ. Thank you for being examples to the rest of us of what it looks like to have people in your life that you love so deeply that are bearing the signs of apostasy and that you're not giving an inch. Because, brothers and sisters, the truth is, is there are many professing Christians who have capitulated under the influence of their loved ones. They've capitulated and they have turned from biblical views to unbiblical ones all because of their children or their siblings. I praise God this morning that that's not you. Stay strong because apostates are a clear danger. As we move into this next part of Jude, I want to call your attention to something, a shift that Jude takes place in the letter of Jude in, in verse, starting in verse 17. Up until this point, he's been talking about the people who had crept in unnoticed. He's been talking about the apostates that were in their midst. Look at this, verse 8. These people, verse 10, but these people, verse 11, woe to them, verse 12. These are hidden reefs. Verse 14, it was about these that Enoch prophesied. But now, I want you to look what happens in, starting in verse 17. But you must remember. Verse 18, they said to you, verse 20, but you, beloved. Verse 21, keep yourselves. You see, Jude is shifting pronouns now, indicating that he has some instructions to the church. He wants us to listen and listen up. He's given us the signs of apostate already in his letter. We've already seen that they're a clear danger. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give us a strategy not only to survive them, but to thrive against them. And we'll look at the first part of this four-part strategy today, and we'll see the next three parts uh, next time. How can we thrive in the midst of apostates when apost we live in an age of apostasy? Well, first, remember this. Remember that apostates are a present danger. Not only are they a clear danger, they're a present danger. A present danger is, is a danger that is, doesn't just exist in another city or in another church or in another time. A present danger is a danger that exists for you and me now in this present place and in this present time here at Grace Church in Swansburg, North Carolina. Look what he says in verse 17, starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved... 
the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, in the last age, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Jude is saying, remember, church, don't forget. The apostates told you exactly what was going to happen. They told you that in the last time, in the last age, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, that false teachers were going to appear like fierce wolves and have the, their feast on the flock of Christ. Church, don't you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4? Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Don't you remember what the Apostle John said, church? In 1 John chapter 2, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Don't you remember what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blaspheme. Don't you remember what the... The apostle and high priest of our confession, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, said in Matthew 24, speaking of the time that we live in presently, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Don't you remember, church? We're living in an age of apostasy. It's not a past danger. It's not confined to Jude's congregation. It's a present danger confined to us in Swansboro, North Carolina at Grace Church now. Why is Jude telling them to remember this? It's because they have the same problem as we do. We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget. As they had no doubt been busy with God-honoring activities in the church, right under their noses, apostates had snuck in and they didn't even realize it. Maybe their church membership interview went something like many churches in our day. Oh, you want to join the church? Great, sign here. With no, little to no probing as to what people believe. With little to no knowledge of whether a person's profession of faith is credible. With little to no affirmation that they actually hold to the core doctrines of the Christian faith. I don't know if that was the situation in Jude's congregation or not, but I can tell you this, that a church membership process like that, which, by the way, is rampant in churches today, is an indication that a church has forgotten that we live in an age of apostasy, that it's a present danger, that both wolves and sheep are going to be knocking on the doors of church membership, wanting to get into the church. And that one of our responsibilities as a church is to try our best to distinguish between the two. To stop the wolves at the door of church membership before they come in and wreak all of their havoc and feast on the sheep. We won't do that, church, if we forget that we live in an age of apostasy and that apostates are a present danger. Will he be like so many churches and leave the door wide open for wolves to come in and to feast on us? 
for one reason or another. That's what happened in the congregation that Jude's writing to. The wolves were let in and they began to wreak havoc. As we've seen, they began to to bear all of these signs of apostasy, to legitimize sexual sin, to appeal to other sources of revelation and all the others. They began to elevate themselves to places of leadership, shepherding, trying to shepherd the people. They were flattering people to gain advantage. No doubt they were liked. No doubt they were attractive. No doubt they were highly influential and persuasive. They were open channels to spread their lies through the congregation. All the while, they went unnoticed by the church. Did it ever even occur to them that these men could be the apostates predicted by the apostles? I don't think so. Not if you read what Jude says in the first, uh, verse 3 and verse 4. You see, the church had forgotten that they were living in an age of apostasy, and so what was taking place in their midst, it wasn't even registering. You may think, I can't believe it can't believe that that wouldn't have registered with them. Let me tell you a story. Spoke to a pastor friend of mine recently, pastor of a church that I was a member at, previous, uh, at one time. And he began to tell me about a longstanding member of his congregation, somebody that I know personally, had started to become quite divisive, causing division. And my friend began to unfold to me the details about, about how this church member was appealing to another source of revelation and how that was causing a lot of division as they were studying through one of the books of the Bible together. And I remember at that point, as as he was telling me this, I remember something clicking in my mind and saying, Oh, man, I remember this man so many years ago appealing to this other source of revelation. I remember him actually leading his very popular Sunday school class through a book of the Bible that was interpreted through this other source of revelation. I remember how much he loved to rise up and and to try to lead people. But up until that moment, as my friend was telling me this recently, it had never occurred to me in my mind that this man could possibly be an apostate. He was bearing the signs of apostasy right in front of my face, and I had missed it. I don't know whether this man is an apostate or not, but what I do know is the point is this. Can you see how easy it is to miss the signs of apostasy when, when, you're, when someone is so close to you? When you forget that it's a present danger in the here and now? How easy it is to miss when we're no longer analyzing from the outside like we're doing in the book of Jude, and we say, ah, how could they do this? How could they miss it? But when we're actually on the inside and it's up close and personal with people that we've got long-standing relationships with that we love very much. See, apostates don't come to us with scarlet letter A's on their heads. They don't come to us with horns and pitchforks. No, they come looking a lot like you and me with a profession of faith in Christ with Bibles in their hands, and with Scripture memorized on their lips. If those are the only signs that we're looking for to identify apostates, then we are a people most to be pitied. Because you know what's going to happen? They're going to waltz right in with a profession of faith in Christ and Bibles in their hands and Scripture on their lips. And then they're going to be 
spreading their cancerous lies among us. See, right now, Grace Church, by the grace of God, is a faithful church. Not a perfect one. But we are a faithful church by the grace of God. But I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this, so, so pay attention. There, it, don't forget, right now in our midst, there is a horde of churches that were once faithful that are now borderline apostate, if not full-blown apostate. How did they get there? How did they get there? How did the faithful Methodist church in John Wesley's generation divulge into the unfaithful one that we see today? How did that happen? It's because the church forgot that apostasy was a present danger. They forgot that we live in an age of apostasy. And through the years, apostates crept into the churches unnoticed. They crept into the pastorate unnoticed. They crept into the seminaries unnoticed. And their influence crept into the hearts of the people unnoticed. That's how a church digresses from faithful to unfaithful. Grace Church, this is the danger of forgetting where we live. We live in an age of apostasy where apostates are not just a past danger, they are a present one. And our Lord this morning, what He's doing is He's shaking us and He's resensitizing us to that reality through Jude's letter to take the threat seriously. To take it seriously. Before we close this morning, I want to leave you with Two things. One, what does it look like to take the threat seriously? Number one, pay careful attention. Stay alert. Keep your radar on for the signs of apostasy. You may remember in Acts chapter 20, as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian pastors, he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Why, Paul? Why do we need to pay careful attention? Here's why. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Oh, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. You see, we as pastors, we have a special responsibility for this. Special responsibility to, to pay careful attention and to stay alert and to keep our radars on. But let me just say, church, so do you. So do you. And the reason is, is because Paul didn't say that after my departure, fierce wolves might come in. He said after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. Even if it's one of your pastors at this church and we start bearing the signs of apostasy, do something about it. What do you do? What do you do when somebody is bearing the signs of apostasy? Well, you do what the Lord Jesus said to do. That's our second one. We engage in church discipline when necessary. The Lord Jesus gives us instructions for church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. And oftentimes when you hear church discipline preached in a church, and it's preached rightly when it's preached this way, but oftentimes you'll hear one side of it, and that's the side that it's for restorative purposes. Somebody is living in sin, and we're going to them and saying, repent, 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 and they finally repent, and they they're come back into the church membership, into the congregation. But there's also another part of church discipline, 
And that is to maintain the purity of the church, to keep apostates out. And you can see this clearly in the letter in Revelation 3 to the church in Thyatira. There was a woman in that congregation. She was referred to as Jezebel. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. She was relying on another source of revelation, and that other source of revelation was her own mind. Through that relying on the other source of revelation, she began to legitimize sexual sin, and she had led many in the church astray. And it's telling to see what the Lord Jesus Christ says, not to Jezebel, but to the church. Listen to what he says. I have this against you, church, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Then he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. See, I think it's clear that what he has against the church, they had failed to follow through on his instructions in church discipline and excommunicate her from the membership to cast out the leaven from the lump. They allowed her to continue to operate and to let her lies continue in their midst and lead and lead and lead more and more people astray. Church, let's learn a lesson from the church in Thyatira. Whenever you notice someone bearing the signs of apostasy, go to them. Lovingly express your concern. Show them their error from the Scriptures. If they don't listen to you, do what Jesus said. Take one or two others along with you. Great idea to get one of the pastors involved at that point. And go to them and plead with them. If they still don't listen, we're going to do what Jesus has told us to, to bring it before the church. And we're going to bathe it in prayer. And we're going to bathe it in pleas for repentance for that person. And if they still won't listen, we are going to do what Jesus Christ told us to do, which is to treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, as an unbeliever, no longer part of the church, no longer able to spread their lies amongst us. As painful as that is, church, that process is, and it is painful, it's not near as painful of what will result if we neglect that duty. So let's take it seriously. What does it look like to take it seriously? Pay careful attention. That was number one. Stay alert. Keep the radar on. And number two, exercise church discipline when necessary. Well, as we conclude this sermon today, we have seen in the book of Jude alarm after alarm sounding for us. Something is coming that is way worse than an EF5 tornado. Something that has already leveled the faith of people and churches and church denominations, apostates. The Lord has been so gracious to remind us today that they are a clear and present danger. And hopefully, by His grace, He's resensitized us to, to take a warning seriously, to heed them. Next time we're going to look at Jude, we're going to see Him answer some Perhaps some questions that have been circulating in your mind as we've been going through the book of Jude. Jude's going to answer some questions like this for us. What do I do when someone that I love is under the influence of an apostate? Jude's going to answer that. And how can I be certain that, that I won't fall into apostasy? He's also going to answer that for us. But then, until then, I want you to remember the first thing that we, that we talked about today. The main point of this is to Remember that apostates are a clear and present danger. Therefore, 
treat their threat with the utmost seriousness. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as we've seen over and over in the book of Jude, this is not a light letter. Warnings are not light. Lord, we want to be a people who treat your warnings seriously. We want to see, Lord, that apostates really are a clear danger and a present danger. Lord, that, that doesn't give us license to be overly critical of one another. But what it does do, it gives us a sobering up of what's been going on in our world today as we look at churches who have gone from faithful to unfaithful. And those are examples, Lord, to us. We pray for revival in those churches. We pray for faithfulness, that your spirit would come in and convict, that your spirit would come in and convert, that your spirit would come in and purify. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for blessing us with it. And thank you that this is just one of, another one of the ways, your warnings in which Christ keeps his sheep. In one of the ways that you guard our faith. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name.